You're listening to Flaunt, Find Your Sparkle and Create a Life You Love After Infidelity or Betrayal. Have you been betrayed by life, your body, or someone that you love? You're not alone. No matter what you've been through, Naked Self-Worth helps you regain confidence, joy, and enthusiasm so you can create a life you love and flourish. Tune in weekly and learn how. Hello, welcome to Flaunt. Find your sparkle and create a life you love after infidelity or betrayal. I'm Laura Cheadle, and I work with women who have been betrayed by their intimate partner and are ready to bring themselves back to life again, who want to be able to let go of the obsessive thoughts to heal this soul-shattering wound, to regain confidence in themselves, their agency, And to create a life that they love, and I mean truly love, on their own terms, despite everything that has happened to them. And who are really set on using this experience as a catalyst for something that's positive, for something that's better. Because they realize that life is short and happiness is truly up to you. So for today, we are going to talk about trust and rebuilding trust after an affair. Now, it doesn't matter if you are with your partner, if you're not with your partner, if you can't figure out what the heck you want to do, if you want to stay or if you want to go, being able to trust yourself. Being able to trust the world again is vitally important. And here's why. When we live life from a place of feeling trust, trust that the sun will come up every morning, trust that you will wake up, that you will be okay. We are so much happier we are so much healthier, and we are able to make decisions. We are able to be successful at work. We're able to be competent, capable parents and partners and friends and daughters and sisters and all of those different things. When we don't have trust We're truly like an abused animal, (laughs) a scared out of its mind animal. And our nervous system is always on high alert. You might have heard about fight, flight, or freeze. We're always either thinking, ah, we've got to jump up and fight, or ah, we've got to run away, or I've got to freeze because something is going to happen. And quite frankly, if you're anything like me, you don't think that that's the right way to live. It's high stress. It doesn't feel good. And again, it's my guess that you want to live a life where you're having fun, where you're feeling good. And that even though bad things happen, because bad things do happen and they will happen because that's life, that you'll still be able to trust in the inherent goodness of life. 
of God, of the universe, of whatever it is. So in a show that's all about trust and learning how to trust again, truly the most important place to start is by defining trust. All right. The definition of trust, according to the Merriam-Webster online dictionary, is trust is the assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone or something. The second definition is one in which confidence is placed. And the third is dependence on something future or contingent, and like an alternate definition, is hope. And I thought that was really important. When you think that the definition of trust can also be hope. Okay, so let's break down this definition. The assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone or something. In terms of infidelity and betrayal, we have trust in our partner. We trust their character, that they're not going to cheat on us. We trust in their strength to manage whatever it is that they're going through with integrity. And we also trust that they will tell us the truth. So when you really break down what's going on during an infidelity, you will see that your trust is broken in several different areas. You have your trust broken by their actions, by their words, by their thoughts, by their deed, by their character, by your vows. I mean, it's not just that they broke your trust in one area. And I think that's truly the most important place to start, to start understanding that it's so devastating because it's multiple betrayals. No act of infidelity is a single betrayal. No act of infidelity is just a single betrayal. You don't Just have your trust broken from one thing. It's sexual fidelity. It's emotional. Oftentimes, it's financial as well, that somebody used money. It's so many layers deep. And when you start to really wrap your head around that, first, (laughs) it can feel discouraging. It can feel overwhelming. It can create such rage. But... It can also bring a lot of peace because suddenly you know that you're not broken. You know that you are not broken. You know you have suffered many violations of your trust. And suddenly it'll make it at least easier for you to start processing and to start untangling. Because when we are handed this blob of infidelity and told, get over it, start feeling better, it's overwhelming. And so many of the women that I coach 
talk about that feeling of overwhelm and how they get stuck in their betrayal recovery journey and how they think they can never trust again. Well, once you start breaking it down, it's easy to see. Of course, you're overwhelmed. You are more or less telling yourself to forgive or your counselor is telling you to forgive maybe 10, 15 different betrayals. And until you start segmenting and separating all of those different betrayals and what they meant, there's no way you can rebuild trust again. So really the first thing is to start untangling, to start writing down all of the different areas of trust that were shattered. And then as you write down all of those different areas where trust was shattered, you can start gauging your betrayal recovery journey. For example, if there was a financial betrayal that was a part of your infidelity, you would write down financial. What your partner might need to do to help you start building trust again financially is completely different than what they might have to do to help you start building trust around sexual fidelity. So write down all of the different ways that your trust was violated. And that truly is the first step in learning how to trust again in rebuilding trust is untangling all the different areas where your trust was broken. Second thing, I want you to break down in each of those different areas. Is this trust in another? Is this trust in the script? Or is this trust in yourself? And let's unpack that a little bit. When another person violates our trust, we have lost trust with them. So, for example, that must might be where somebody tells us an untruth. We say, where are you going? And they tell us where they're going, but it's a lie. If we confront them, is something going on with this person? And they lie. That's a situation where we are losing trust in that other person because they are saying or doing something that is directly not true. It's a little bit different of a situation when we lose trust in the script. What do I mean by script? A script is that story that we have in our head about the way things should be, about the way life should turn out, about the way a partner should behave, about the way married people should communicate, how often people should have sex, the way we should argue. We have so many ideas, scripts, about what a worthy woman is like what a worthy man is like, what a marriage should be like. And the problem is 
oftentimes, because there are scripts in our head that have been there forever, because they were given to us, infused in us from our family, our culture, the part of the country that we live in, we don't even realize that we're there. And unless our partner was raised in our same household, which is probably not the case, he or she will have a different script about what it means to be in a marriage, about what a husband or wife does, about how a husband or wife should behave, all of those different scripts. So sometimes when you start picking it apart, you'll realize, okay, this person violated my trust. But sometimes it's not just the person that violated your trust. It's the script. The script was violated. And I know that happened for me a lot. This wasn't how my life was supposed to turn out. I did everything right, quote unquote right. I was the perfect wife. I was the perfect mom. I did it right. This isn't how it was supposed to be. And it's my guess that that's a similar story for you too. This was not how your life was supposed to turn out. The script in your head was demolished. The script in your head was violated. And that's a whole separate thing to start unpacking when you are working on rebuilding trust. Just like I was saying, we have to talk about the specific incidences of betrayal and untangle those. We also have to untangle who or what is the thing that we need to rebuild trust in. Yes, if somebody is lying to you directly, you will need to rebuild trust in your partner. But what about the script? When the script in my head is, I am not going to be a victim of infidelity and betrayal. That's not going to happen in my world. When that script is shattered, who do I rebuild trust in? Do I rebuild trust in the script? Do I have to rebuild trust in the person who violated that script? Do I have to rebuild trust in my family and society that gave me that script? Or do I have to rebuild trust in myself for owning and adopting that script? That's a lot to untangle. And as you can probably see just from talking about this, the reason it's so difficult to rebuild trust is because we have to decide who are we rebuilding trust in? What are we rebuilding trust in? And until we can get all of those things separated, the who and the what, it's truly going to be impossible to start rebuilding trust. And that's why rebuilding trust is oftentimes one of the most difficult things to do and is one of the places where more people get stuck. And they get stuck because it's a mishmash, because they're trying to rebuild trust in many different people, many different institutions, many different places, many different ideas. 
themselves, others, the scripts, their families, all at the same time without consciously separating it. And that's one of the reasons too, sometimes people will come to work with me and they'll say, I don't know what's wrong with me. My partner's doing all the right things and I still don't feel better. I still don't feel like I trust them. Well, oftentimes it's because what they're struggling with is not trust in their partner. They're struggling with trusting the system again, trusting society's messages again, trusting themselves again, trusting their ability again. Now, we could spend a lot of time on this and I know your head is probably reeling a little bit and you're probably thinking and feeling like, oh gosh, this is a lot. I hear what you're saying, Laura, but this is a lot and this feels overwhelming. And what I want to say to you is it's okay. It is a lot. Take a breath and breathe. And let me tell you, you don't have to do this all at once. And you don't have to do this alone. A fair recovery is a process. Recovery is a journey It's not a milestone. It's not a destination to get to. It's a process. And as you are healing, you're going to have many different things come up. For example, I'm talking about the script. If you've been betrayed by your intimate partner, okay, You need to start rebuilding trust in them, but you also have to start working on that script that people who are married don't do this to each other. That's a belief. That's a script. Who gave you that story? You might have some anger against your family. You might have some anger against the patriarchy. You might start thinking all men are pigs and this is horrible and I hate it. Feel that. You might have some anger against your religion. You might have anger against fairy tales and stories. I remember when I was going through my betrayal recovery, I watched several different fairy tales. And it was just good for me to watch some of the Disney princess fairy tales and to start getting a handle on how I was raised in this culture as a female And how even though smart thinking attorney Laura knew that fairy tales weren't real and that that really wasn't a thing, to give some compassion to that part of me that believed as a little girl growing up, there was a handsome prince and he would rescue me and we would ride off into the sunset together on his white horse. And to just recognize And then release, hey, that was a part of me. And no, adult Laura doesn't truly believe that. But there's a part of me, a sweet, innocent little girl part inside that still believes that. And that's that script that was in my head. And I need to rebuild trust in the narrative. 
I need to start looking at my society, my family, the books that I read, my culture. And I need to start looking at the narrative that's out there and figuring out what do I trust and what do I not trust? And that's part of the reason that so often when people have been cheated on, they love to hang on to the phrase, once a cheater, always a cheater, which, by the way, is not true. It's a script. Once a cheater, always a cheater is a script, and we want to hang on to things. When the rug has been pulled out from under us, we want to hang on to things. And it's just so easy to say that. And it's so easy, you know, the pendulum swings from one way to the other for us to look at ourselves as innocent girls who believed in fairy tales and thought on some level that one day our prince would come to all of a sudden then get bitter and hardened and to go to the other end of the spectrum and be like, nope, men are all pigs. One's a cheater, always a cheater. It's all over. If you hope to rebuild trust, It's imperative that you start breaking down all of the people, the places, the things, the situations, the paradigms, the ideas where that trust was violated. And to start unpacking that. And like I said, you don't have to do it all at once. I encourage you right now today, while this is fresh in your head, to just journal a little bit, to write down all of the ways that your trust was violated. And then just to sit with it. You can add to it later. You can grieve through it later. But also know that you don't have to do this alone. I am here for you. There are other counselors and therapists and clergy that are there for you. I encourage you to reach out to me, go to affairrecoveryforwomen.com and learn about my six-month coaching program for women who want to learn how to trust again, who want to start unpacking this and unpeeling the different layers and to start rebuilding trust ultimately in themselves so then they can start trusting the world, the institution, other people, family members. Again, affairrecoveryforwomen.com. You will learn more. Reach out if you've got any questions. But you don't have to do this alone. And that's why the way I work is I set people up for six months of coaching so we have the time and the space to move through the process. Because like I said earlier, affair recovery is a process, not a destination. So, if you're rebuilding trust in someone else, it looks different than if you were rebuilding trust in an institution or a script. And it also looks vastly different if you're rebuilding trust in yourself. Rebuilding trust in yourself is truly where it's at. Now, we are definitely going to address how to rebuild trust in others. But I want to start with rebuilding trust in yourself because that you are the only one that has control over you. You control your own actions. You control your own thoughts. 
The locus of control is always with you. And the best place to begin is always rebuilding trust in yourself. Rebuilding trust in yourself. So how do you do that? Two different things. First, becoming aware of your intuition. And then second, having your own back. Rebuilding trust in your intuition. All that really means, intuition is such a fancy word sometimes that people get hung up on like, oh, is it real? Is it not real? Blah, blah, blah. Intuition is always real. Intuition is just a feeling. Some people call it God talking. Some people call it the still small voice inside. It doesn't matter what you call it. It's just that feeling inside that you need to do something. It is my guess that there has been more than one occasion in your life when you've had a feeling about something. I feel like I need to call my mom. Gosh, I feel like I should turn right. Hmm, I bet that is my best friend on the phone right now. Ooh, I've got a bad feeling about this. That's your intuition. And the first step is rebuilding trust in yourself, is reconnecting to your intuition, which is a lot simpler than you might think. It's just taking the time to listen, to notice, and to drop into your body, not your head. Drop into your body and not your head. Let me tell you how that means or what that means and how that looks. It means when you've got a decision to make, when you need to evaluate the veracity of somebody's statements, to try to not think about it logically, but to try to feel it somewhere in your body. And it doesn't matter where you feel it, but just scan your body, starting with your toes, moving up your feet and your legs, moving through your hips and your gut, moving through the solar plexus, the chest, the heart, feeling up the shoulders and the back of the neck, Feeling the scalp, the jaw, the face, the arms, and the hands. And just notice. Do you feel calm? Safe? secure, good in any way? And where do you feel those feelings? Are your eyebrows and forehead relaxed? Chest up, breath flowing. Or do you feel agitated? Does something just feel wrong? Are you constricting in your heart or your solar plexus? Just notice how your body feels. When somebody tells you the affair has ended, 
I am not seeing the affair partner anymore. Where does it feel in your body? How does it feel in your body? Get out of your head for a moment and just let that settle in your body and evaluate how it feels. And as you're evaluating the body, notice what thought just pops into your mind. Don't try to think, just notice what popped in. It could be a snarky comment, and that's fine, dismiss it. It could be a, I don't buy that. That's fine, dismiss it. It can be, yeah, I see, I, I see the truth of that. That's fine, dismiss that. Just notice what you feel, where you feel it, and notice what those thoughts are. And don't dwell on them. Dwelling is where we get in trouble. We get in trouble with building trust again when we start dwelling on things. Oh my God, is it this? Is it that? Blah, 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 blah. I'm not telling you not to think. I'm just telling you for this activity, for this moment, for the reconnection to your intuition, just spend a moment in your body, noticing how it feels, and then spend a minute noticing what thoughts and what answers pop into your mind. Once you do that, again, you can write them down. This feels true in my body. This feels untrue in my body. The immediate answer that popped into my head was, then you've got notice. You've got information, and that is your intuition. And what you decide to do or to not do with that intuition is truly up to you. But part of building that intuition is just noticing it. And you can spend some time noticing it and not acting on it. That's fine too. But pretty soon, you will start becoming more and more confident in your body as a barometer to truth, as that gut instinct, as a barometer to what's really going on. Just notice. Now, the second step around that, I said, is having your own back. And this is sort of related to intuition, but it's a little bit different. It's more related to boundaries. Intuition is about using all the tools that are available to you. Getting in touch with how something feels in your body, what those, you know, voices are in your head, and using them as well as seeking information, thinking, talking, studying, searching, whatever it is you need to do. It's just getting in touch and using that as an additional measuring stick. Having your own back is not a tool to test veracity, but it is a what am I going to do when I know or don't know. So if you're using your intuition as a tool and maybe you're searching phone records and you're talking to people who were involved with your, you know, spouse and you are testing and feeling how your body feels and you're listening to that voice in your head and everything lines up that, wow, my partner is being untrue. 
even though we're supposed to be working on this, my body tells me it's not true. My head tells me it's not true. Checking his phone tells me that it's not true. What are you going to do about it? And that's what having your own back is about. Because when you have your own back, it means you're rebuilding trust in yourself. And I'm not saying even in that situation that the answer is I'm going to leave or I'm going to stay or I'm going to confront. It's just knowing that you will make a decision that honors who you are and what you want. Having your own back means when you are confronted with both the internal and the external evidence that you will not leave yourself hanging, that you will not stay in perpetual limbo, that you will not backtrack or placate or explain something away or refuse to acknowledge how you feel and what you feel. Having your own back is about knowing that you will take whatever steps necessary to address whatever it is that is in conflict with who you are, what you value, and what you want. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to do this thing right now. You can sense that your partner is lying. You can know that your partner is lying. And you can know that based on what you have been through, that you will need to leave. That's not saying that in that exact moment that you're betraying yourself by not walking away. But what it does mean is that you need to start taking steps to honor yourself. Whether it's looking for a new job or finding a place to live or getting some more information about what a divorce or a separation might look like. But it means having your own back and taking steps to move towards your desired outcome. On the flip side of things, when I found out about my husband's infidelity and we started talking, there was a lot of truth that I was feeling in my body. My head oftentimes told me that it was stupid for me to listen. But my body told me that it was true. My body, my heart, the voice inside would tell me to stick with it, that there was more to the story, that there was something there for me to uncover. I had my own back by giving myself the time to explore that. And the more I explored, the more that I learned what was really going on and why my husband cheated. And the more I learned, the more compassion that I felt and the more understanding of him and myself in the situation that I felt. And it would have been the biggest betrayal of me to walk away despite that. Because I have grown and learned so much more by listening and having my own back. And through that process, even though I was staying, and a lot of people would say, why are you staying? 
I would know I am staying until the point that it doesn't feel good to stay again. I am staying because right now it feels good. I am staying because right now curiosity is a value. Understanding is a value. Compassion is a value. And I'm feeling it. And I give myself full permission now as well as then to walk away if and when it doesn't feel right again. And people will often ask me, how can you say you're going to stay together? How do you know he won't do it again? And my answer to all of that is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because I know that no matter what, I trust myself. I have my own back. If I find something else out, and if my body and my mind and the information is all telling me that I need to leave, then I will trust myself and I will leave. It's not that, oh, I made this decision and I'm in forever and poor me, poor me. I trust myself fully, simply because one, I am in touch with my intuition, which means I know what my body feels. I know what that voice inside is telling me. And I check it against what I'm also thinking and what's going on externally. And then number two, I know that I have my own back. I know that at the end of the day, whether it takes me a day, a week, a month, or a year, I will constantly take steps for myself, for my own best interest, and that I will always have my back. That's all it takes to trust yourself again. Listen to your intuition and have your own back. Now again, Sometimes it can be difficult to do on your own. That's why I'm here. But truly, that's all it takes. And until you start trusting yourself again, there is no point in reaching out and trying to trust your partner again and trying to rebuild trust in a relationship because you have to rebuild trust in the relationship with yourself first. So once You have reconnected to your intuition once you have committed to having your own back and once you are starting to rebuild that trust in yourself, then you can start rebuilding trust in the script, in the patriarchy, in the system, and in your partner. So let's talk about what it looks like to rebuild trust in your partner. And also, how long does it take? Because that's something that people are always asking me. Oh my gosh, what am I in for? How long does it take? It takes about two years. I'm not going to lie. It's a long journey. And the reason that it takes about two years is first, you've got to go through the year of anniversaries first. You've got to go through that year of trigger and pain and how can I get through this? You just have to go through that grief anniversary first because the first year is all about trauma and grief and it's acute. It's going to be acute for that entire first year. Then that second year is when the rubber meets the road where you have really started trusting yourself again And then you can start being in a relationship with your partner and you can start rebuilding trust that second year. Now, yes, things that happen the first year obviously are stepping stones towards that, but it is going to take two full years to really rebuild trust. There are about eight things 
about eight steps in rebuilding trust. And we're going to walk through those right now. The first one might seem so obvious that it doesn't need mentioning, but I am going to mention it anyway. The first step in rebuilding trust is your partner has to stop the affair. Your partner has to cut all contact and stop the affair. There is no rebuilding trust, period, with another person as long as they are engaged in untoward activity or communication or having contact with their affair partner. I am sorry, that is a hard line. First and foremost, they must stop the affair. The second step in rebuilding trust with another person is to agree that you must go slow. If you're anything like me and my partner on this journey, we wanted it frickin' over with. It was painful, it was awful, and there were a lot of times where we just, I don't even know how to say it, but we just wanted to like, la 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 la, I can't hear you, pretend that it didn't exist, pretend that it would go away. And at the same time, we knew that it couldn't because it was always there, there was always a trigger. And we had to agree with each other that it was okay to go slow. We had to respect each other in each other's journey and time and process. And we had to agree that we wouldn't hurry the other person in moving through any stage that they needed some more time to move through. The third step is what I affectionately refer to as the three A's. Apology, making amends, and being accountable. Apology, amends, and accountable. If you are going to trust your partner again, your partner must apologize. They must apologize sincerely for their actions. They must know exactly what it is that they're apologizing for. And yes, sometimes you need to help them understand what it is they're apologizing for. Which goes back to the beginning of the show, which, yes, I know in ways kind of felt long and meandering, but it's about untangling. They have to apologize for violating your trust around physical affection. They must apologize for seeking out somebody else emotionally. They must apologize for your loss of emotional support. They must apologize for the way that their actions crushed your dream, the script in your head about how a marriage should work. You need to be clear. And then that needs to be communicated to them so they can sincerely say, oh my gosh, yeah, I get that. I see how my actions and my choices and my behaviors caused you to lose trust in my ability to manage our finances or whatever it is. You need to have that meeting of the minds, that understanding of what they're apologizing, what the, what what their actions did to hurt you, and they need to apologize for those sincerely. And it's not that they need to beg forgiveness. It's just that they need to apologize and an apology 
comes, a sincere apology comes from understanding. Apologies are rooted in understanding. And unless they understand what it did to you, the apology will ring untrue or hollow. And again, this is such a sticking point for so many of the women that I work with. They'll say, he apologized and it doesn't, and I don't feel better. Nine times out of 10, it's because the woman herself is not clear where and how and why her trust was violated. So the apology is just diffuse. I apologize for the whole situation. The whole situation hurt me. Okay, great, but we've got to get specific. Point for point. Action for pain. This hurt this. That hurt that. You have to be specific in order for the apology to be meaningful. And a lot of that is your work. Your work is the betrayed partner. You have to identify and describe where and how your trust was violated in order to get an apology that is meaningful for you. The second A is about making amends. Not everything is something that somebody can make amends for. But when your partner can make amends in a situation, it does need to be done. Whether it is selling a car where something happened. It might even be moving because they need to make amends for defiling your house. Whatever they can do to make amends for whatever it was that they violated, it's something that they need to do. And again, so much of it comes back to you. You have hurt feelings. I had hurt feelings. You had your trust broken. I had my trust broken. It is up to us to get specific and figure out how. And then how our partner can make amends. And some of that is on them. You don't have to tell them every little thing that they need to do in order to make amends. When they are sincere and when they truly understand what it is that they did to you, then it becomes easier for them to come up with an idea as to how to make amends. But there's also nothing wrong with you saying, hey, you spent money on hotel rooms, dinners, gifts for that person, and you never did it for me. Something that would feel like amends is you taking me to a different hotel, to having this nice dinner, And for you to treat me with a gift, that would feel better to me and that would help me trust you again. The third A is around accountability and to be accountable. In order to rebuild trust with your partner, your partner needs to be accountable. If they say they're going somewhere, they need to be going to that place and not deviating from it. If they say that you have access to their phone and their passwords, then you better have access to their phone and to their passwords. And if your partner is not accountable, it shows that they might not be committed to the healing journey in the same way that you are. And that might be a showstopper there. And if, 
you have rebuilt trust in yourself and you're connected to your intuition and you've got your own back, you'll know what you need to do around that. Sure, it might be disappointing. Sure, it might be upsetting again. Sure, you might once again have the script of the way things should be violated. But we once you know that that's the case and that they're not being accountable, you'll know what to do. And you will know that maybe you can't rebuild trust with them. And that if you can't rebuild trust with them, then perhaps this is not a relationship you are wanting to be in. And then you'll have your own back and you'll do what is necessary to address that. The fourth step in rebuilding trust with another person is having them hold space for you and to allow you to vent and heal. Your healing is not their responsibility. However, it is their responsibility to do what you need them to do to heal. And in most cases, that includes holding space, answering questions, holding you while you cry, leaving the house if you need them to for a night or for a while. It's giving you the grace and space to do whatever it is that you need to do to heal. And if they are truly there for you and for your healing journey, it's going to rebuild so much trust. Stopping the affair, going slow, the three A's, apology, amendment, being accountable, and then holding space to let you vent and heal. Those are only the first four. That's only the half of the steps to rebuild trust. But can you see already just how those four things will allow you to breathe, to process? You don't have to rush your healing. The person that hurt you can be the person that helps heal you in a very powerful way. And the reason that I stopped and took a pause after the first four is because these are the four basic things. These are the four immediate things that will help you start rebuilding trust in your partner. The next four things are things that come up in your journey together in life that have the potential to rock the boat. And I want to be very honest about that. Life is difficult. And even under the best of circumstances with two partners who are very committed to each other, difficult things will happen. Misunderstandings will take place. Emotions will run high, miscommunication, old triggers, wounds, all of these things will happen. And these next four steps are about using those disasters to help rebuild trust in a new, better, deeper way. I say this all the time and I talk about it all the time, but My husband are happier and healthier now 
than we were before because of these next four steps. The next four steps, the last four steps in this process are first, have disasters together to let the triggers come up, to let the miscommunication happen, to let all of these things happen and to have new rules and new promises and new ways to talk about it. Have the disasters, but promise a new way of being when a miscommunication takes place. Talk about, have a rule for addressing conflict, whether it's saying we are going to take a pause and talk about it in an hour, whether it's going to a counselor or a therapist and a coach and talking about it together. It might be writing things out, sending each other emails instead of talking about it. Make new promises about how to manage those disasters together. So step five is allow yourself the disasters. And step six is have new rules, promises, and ways to deal with those disasters. Which goes right into step seven. Don't be shy about addressing the prior cause of the affair. If there was a vulnerability that caused your spouse to cheat, don't tiptoe around it. Talk about it. If your spouse cheated on travel and travel is coming up, you've got to address it. Don't hide it. If your partner is in a work situation and they still have to see that person, don't hide it. Address the prior cause head on every single time. And then that last step in rebuilding trust, step eight, is do things differently. And that's for both of you. Just because your partner was the one that cheated doesn't let you off the hook in doing things differently. Whether it's communicating differently or enjoying activities together differently or talking about sex or engaging in sex differently or having arguments differently or dealing with families differently, you too have to do things differently. You need to do things differently. Your partner needs to do things differently. And when you're both doing things differently, you both rebuild trust in each other. So to go through these eight steps of rebuilding trust with each other again, first and foremost, stop the affair. Second, agree to go slow. Three, focus on the three A's, apology, amendment, and accountability. Number four, hold space. Have your partner hold space and let you vent and heal. Number five, agree to have disasters together. Agree to let life fall apart. Agree to move through things differently. But step six, make new promises, rules, and talk about what you're going to do differently to address those disastrous moments. Number seven, address prior cause head on. Don't be shy. Talk about it. And number eight, both of you do things differently. It's going to take about two years. But if you have, going all the way back to the beginning of the show, untangled who violated your trust, what violated your trust, untangled all of that and made your list and then to rebuild trust in yourself, then you can use these steps 
to start rebuilding trust with another. And in about two years, you will feel very confident, capable, and supported in yourself and your relationship. Check out AffairRecoveryForWomen.com if you think you want help moving through this process. I will see you next week. Hang in there. You've got this. And as usual, always remember to flaunt exactly who you are because who you are is always more than enough. Tune in next time to Flaunt. Find your sparkle and create a life you love after infidelity or betrayal with radio host and live choreographer Laura Cheadle every Wednesday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on syndicated Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Develop naked self-worth and reclaim your confidence, enthusiasm, and joy so you can create a life you love and embrace who you are today. Download your free Sparkle Through Betrayal Recovery Guide at NakedSelfWorth.com.